And welcome to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. My name is Jesse, and I'll be your host. So, on today's episode, I'm going to be talking about one of my favorite movies in the entire world. Uh, this film is one that I watched when I was a kid. I still love it. I can endlessly quote it. And that film is 1997's Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. Now, this film, a little background on me, um, I grew up with a sister who is almost three years older than I am. Uh, shout out, Sarah, I know you're listening. But uh, I, you know, as you do with your siblings, you fight over just being siblings, being in the same house and stuff like that. But one of the things I think me and my sister could agree on when we were kids is certain films that we'd watch together. And this was definitely one where we watched it together and... I definitely remember enjoying it and loving it. And it's been one that has been um, so ingrained in us for so long. Um, Actually, so much so that um, my sister, uh, one of her best friends, Barbie, hey, Barbie, I know you're listening too. Um, When they started becoming friends back in 2010 or whatever, um, this was a movie that they kind of bonded over a little bit. It was this and Forrest Gump, for whatever reason, they were like into. But but of course, I love this movie as well. And... um, it just has such a good message to it, you know? It's about female friendship. It's about trying to be yourself um, and really knowing who is the most important thing to you. And I don't know. It's just so good. And it's crazy because, you know, this movie actually had a little bit of a, a rocky uh, beginning um, to actually, you know, become the movie that it is today. Um And also, I think it kind of got buried by the studio a little bit. It it came out and, you know, it did fine business-wise. Like, it made its money back. And it got all right reviews. But, I mean, you know, it wasn't this, like, instant classic when it came out, you know? It wasn't... They didn't... People didn't have the same feelings about it when it first came out. And it kind of just went into obscurity. Until I then think with video sales and repeat um, viewings on TV and things like that, um, it really kind of gained this audience. And what's crazy, too, is that there's so many different audiences that love this movie. You have, I think, uh, females definitely really seem to enjoy this movie, I think because of the fashions and, you know, the whole story about your you know best friends and loving your best friend and being there for them. And, you know... Um, I think the queer community likes this movie a lot too. Similar to like the fashions are awesome. The, you know, outsider kind of like perspective that Romy and Michelle bring in the story is really cool, which I think the queer community can kind of latch onto and enjoy. And again, the, the moment of triumph um, that these characters get to have in the end. And it's just so great. And uh, it's just a feel-good movie, and and it's something where I just enjoy it so much. So the plan, at least right now, is I'm going to go over a few uh, figures of this movie, give some critical response quotes from some critics at the time, um, who I don't really think liked it a whole lot, and then we'll go into a little bit of the production history of this film, um, and then also we'll then go into a plot summary and wrap everything up. So let's get started with a little bit of the figures. So, Remy Michelle's High School Reunion was released on April 25th, 1997. It was released by Touchstone Pictures, which is a part of the Disney Corporation. Um, similar to with, like, Buena Vista Pictures. They're the people who did um, 10 Things I Hate About You and other movies like that. Um, the budget of this movie was $20 million, and it made $29.2 million. So, it made its money back and then some, which is great. We're looking at a Rotten Tomatoes score of 74% on the tomato meter, a 65% audience score, 
We're looking at IMDb score of 6.3 out of 10 and a Letterboxd score of 3.5 out of 5. I've got some critical response quotes from some critics at the time. So we have Caroline Westbrook from Empire Magazine stating, In a film whose lead characters try so desperately to be adored, it's disappointing that the overall effect should be one of indifference. We then have Jane Ganahl from the San Francisco Examiner stating, The movie's charms are frustrated by meandering direction. And then we have John Hartle from Film.com stating, For all its bright moments, 91 minutes, turns out to be more than this joke can sustain. So you can see that some people, I think I on Rotten Tomatoes, there were about 16 Rotten reviews. And then also some people, um, like user reviews, stating there are some people who really love the movie, but there's also people who hate it too. Um, you know, talking about like, you know, well, how is it that Romy and Michelle can like afford to live in Los Angeles when like one of them is only working like at a at a car dealership or whatever? And I'm just like what the heck? Like, this movie is a movie. Like, it's a fantasy at the end of the day, really. Um, it's not to be taken too seriously, I don't think. Um, so, you know, I just thought that was kind of funny to see those. Um, so then we're going to move into a little bit of a production history of the film. So in order to talk about the production history of Romy Michelle's High School Reunion, I just wanted to give a shout out to my sources that I'm finding this information from. Uh, there's at least three different articles that I can point you to um, that chronicle what went on during Romy Michelle and how this came to be. Uh, the first one I have is from Vanity Fair. The title of the article is The Woman Who Created Romy and Michelle Never Thought They'd Be So Popular. This article is by Garen uh, Pirnia. Um, P-I-R-N-I-A. It was published August 24th, 2017. So they did it around the time that the movie came out. I also have another article. It was HuffPost. And the title is I Can't Believe How Cute I Look. I believe it's an oral history of Romy Michelle by Matthew Jacobs. This was published April 27th, 2017. It's been updated uh, probably in the past year or so. Uh, but that was another good oral history that we have. And then actually the most recent um, oral history that I can tell you about is I think actually really fun. Uh, it's actually a Vogue article called The Blonde Leading the Blonde, An Oral History of Romy Michelle's High School Reunion by Keaton Bell. This came out April 27th, 2022. So this is the most recent oral history we have. And I think it's hilarious just because um, Vogue released this. And as we'll find out, Vogue is a part of the story of Romy Michelle's high school reunion because one of the students ended up becoming an associate fashion editor for Vogue. So I think that's really funny that literally on pretty much the day that this movie was released 25 years ago, this oral history came out um, and it's come out by Vogue, which I just think is really funny. Before we talk about the production history of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion, we first have to start in Los Angeles, California at the very famed Groundlings Theater and School on Melrose Avenue. And so... For those of you who may not know, The Groundlings is a very famous improv comedy troupe in Los Angeles, similar to Second City in Chicago or Upright Citizens Brigade in New York. L.A. has The Groundlings. It's the most famous group of theirs. And many people came from The Groundlings. We're talking Paul Rubens, who made Pee Wee Herman, Cassandra Peterson, who made Elvira's Mistress of the Dark, Lisa Kudrow, who's in this film, um... 
I mean, so many SNL alumni, uh, everyone from Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Alyssa McCarthy, Kristen Wiig, lots of different people um, coming from this theater troupe and this theater, you know, school pretty much. And Robin Schiff, the screenwriter of this particular film, was a groundling. She was actually a teacher at the groundlings as well. She apparently taught Conan O'Brien, which is kind of cool. And she ended up writing a sketch uh, that was about these two women talking about gaining respect in the workplace, uh, while all the while they were also changing into, like, going out club gear, pretty much. Uh, And all of this sketch took place in a woman's restroom. And so this particular sketch that Robin Schiff wrote ended up getting turned into a short play called Ladies' Room. So Ladies' Room pretty much came from um, Robin Schiff going to different clubs on, uh, you know, Santa Monica Boulevard, Sunset Strip, thing, you know, places like that, and just seeing these girls who, um, you know, who were, like, really good friends, and they would have pretty much the same outfit on, but, like, only have a little bit of difference in their outfit. And she even talks about having gone to a um, club on the Sunset Strip and hearing the most, like, vapid conversation in the bathroom there ever, where it was, like, these two girls talking, and one of them was like, oh my god, I love your hair! And then the other girl was like, my hair? Your hair? Like, I would trade my hair for your hair in, like, two seconds. And she thought that this was, like, the most, like banal vapid conversation ever she's heard but she was able to then take that um interaction and make two characters in this ladies room play uh these characters would be affectionately referred to as airhead number one and airhead number two um and pretty much the person who ended up you know auditioning for one of these roles was a not known at the time lisa kudrow uh and also during the funding audition to get money for this short play. Apparently, Kathy Griffin was also um, cast as one of these airheads, I guess. Um, And uh, Robin Schiff, you know, gave credit where credit's due that she was like, you know, Lisa Kudrow was great. You know, she's really funny. Kathy Griffin's also very talented, but apparently, you know, Robin didn't like how she was kind of ad-libbing things and that kind of stuff. But ended up these two airhead characters in this this short play really were able to like uh, get good audience response. Um, anytime they came out on stage, like they'd get a huge laugh and Robin Schiff even was like, I don't know how that happened, but like great, I guess like wonderful. Um, and so that's how this started pretty much was that it was pretty much a short play that was made. Um, it, you know, it got some runs different places. It ran in San Francisco. It apparently ran in New York as well, um, which was great. And then there was actually, from all of that, um, there was a TV pilot that was created called Just Temporary. And uh, it starred Lisa Kudrow and an actress by the name of Christy Melior um, playing these kind of airheaded temps uh, who, you know, again, the show didn't really go anywhere, but it was a way for um, these characters to start getting noticed. Fun fact also, there is a uh, just temporary theme song that you can find on YouTube uh, that has like Lisa Kudrow in it. And I think it's really funny. So please go look that up. So then we're going to move into how this film actually came to be. 
So when it comes to Romy Michelle actually becoming a feature film, uh, we got to talk about Alex Schwartz, who was a senior VP of feature development at Touchstone Pictures. So Touchstone Pictures was a part of the Walt Disney Studios. It um, released a lot more of the quote-unquote adult releases of that time. And so Alex ended up getting a... um, writing sample of this. Um, She thought it was hilarious. She thought Robin was really funny. Um, And she went to see this play up in San Francisco of Ladies Room. There were these two supporting characters, this airhead number one and airhead number two, who were funny. And uh, Robin Schiff uh, stated that Alex thought that a movie about Romy Michelle could kind of be like a female Wayne's World. Um... And even though Robin Schiff said, like, she didn't know if these characters could support a feature all by themselves, um, she was willing to take that risk. Plus, you know, she knew these characters pretty well, um, so she, you know, could channel them into trying to make some kind of feature-length project. So another key important player in this um movie being able to be created into a film uh, is a gentleman by the name of Barry Kemp. So Barry Kemp actually created sitcoms like New Heart and Coach and also other sitcoms as well. He actually helped produce the 1992 uh, San Francisco production of Ladies Room that Alex Schwartz came to see. And this person, this Barry Kemp gentleman, he clicked with Robin Schiff immediately. He actually offered to help refine her pitch for Touchstone Um, so that it could actually try to get legs and turn into a feature film. So even with the support of Alex Schwartz, who was a female executive at this time, and Barry Kemp, who was this comedy veteran at the time, Robin Schiff um, and the Disney execs didn't seem to have the greatest of relationships. Um, The studio seemed to think that the script wasn't all that funny, so they did try to fire Robin, and they were successful at one time. Uh, in 1993, she was off Romy Michelle most of the time. Um, Robin states that she wouldn't say that their interactions were contentious, but she got the impression that these executives didn't quite understand or get the film, and they were trying to bring in someone to make it more funny. Um, A gentleman by the name of Donald DeLine, who at the time was executive vice president of Touchstone Pictures, who pretty much was Alex Schwartz's boss, um, he even said, like, you know, they went through a lot of rewrites. Disney at the time was very hands-on with their projects. And so he was saying that it was a matter of, like, this project was in development hell for about five years or so, but he was saying that even that there were projects that were, like, in development hell for, like, eight to twelve years. Um, And really, it's a matter of honing the comedy, working on the characters, you know, trying to figure out the stakes of the film. Um, And Barry Kemp stated that, you know, not long after there was a regime change at Disney, a gentleman by the name of Joe Roth, who was the new head of the studio, was saying that pretty much out of 13 development um, deals that they were going to be doing... I think 11 of these were scrapped, pretty much. And the only movies that they were actually greenlighting to be produced were Gross Point Blank, who um, I believe Joe Roth's wife was producing at the time, uh, and Roman Michelle was also greenlit. So Barry Kemp talks about how, um, at this time, when they were trying to find a director for the film, they tried going to Amy Heckerling. Barry uh, Kemp talks about he met with um, Robin and him met with Amy, but for whatever reason, she just didn't really click with the material. The three of them were not on the same page. 
And I think Amy felt like the project was a little too similar to Clueless, um, which, you know, you can definitely see some of the similarities. Um, and they ended up going with a director by the name of David Merkin, who was a bold choice. He came off of doing The Simpsons. He did a lot more of the surreal type of episodes in The Simpsons at the time. Um, and Barry Kemp had known David from when he wrote for Newhart. And he just knew that he was really funny. He was a good writer. Um, and David Merkin was talking about how he never left The Simpsons once he came on as full-time. Um, but he had been interested in writing uh, and directing a female-centered comedy for a long time. So when he got this script, um, he said it still needed some work, like more structure and a better ending. But the potential was massive for this. So with Robin Schiff slated to write the screenplay and David Merkin slated to direct the um, movie of Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion, the next step was to try to find a cast for this film. So thankfully, by the time that uh, this film was going to be made, the show Friends on NBC had become a huge rating success. And one of the people on cast of that show was Lise Kudrow, who originated the role of... Michelle uh, in Ladies' Room in that short play that Robin Schiff had done back in the 80s. So because of the clout that came with Lisa Kudrow at the time, she pretty much was able to get that role, which is good. But for Romy, the studio was actually looking for a movie star. So even though there were talks of getting like Julia Louis-Dreyfus, for example, studio didn't want to touch her because she was not a movie star. David Merkin was actually really interested in getting Tony Collette, who he had saw in Muriel's Wedding. Don't worry, we'll do a Muriel's Wedding episode as well. Um, but he did meet with her in L.A., but uh, she passed on this role because she had some, uh, issues with the Valley Girl accent, because she's not American, she's Australian. So kind of struggled with that a little bit. But never fear, because... Even with that little bump in casting, Mira Sorvino comes into the picture. So by this time, Mira Sorvino, who is the daughter of um, recently passed character actor Paul Sorvino, rest in peace, um, she had earned an Oscar nomination and won the Oscar uh, for Best Supporting Actress in Woody Allen's Mighty Aphrodite movie. Um she was actually really good in that movie. It's like the only Woody Alley movie I've actually even seen. But she, uh, Mira Serena was great in it. So she got the script, thought it was really funny. And even though her agents at the time discouraged her from taking this role, um, Mira Serena was like, oh, yeah, no, I would totally do this role. Like, this sounds great. Lisa Kudrow's interested. Like, I think she's really funny. Uh, vice versa, Lisa Kudrow, when she found out that Mira Sorvino was reading and perhaps getting cast for this role, uh, she was like, oh, yeah, like, no, I'll totally do this, too, because this woman's, like, an Oscar nominee. Like, that's great. Um, and really, they were able to kind of get a great performance out of one another. You then have the wonderful, beautiful Ginny Garofalo playing Heather Mooney, who is the kind of acerbic... Um, nihilistic, misanthropic um, character of the film, which is just lovely and wonderful. Um, you then have Elaine Hendricks, who, before playing in Romy Michelle, she was the stepmother to Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap. Um, and they seem to be all interested in that. Then you have the wonderful Sandy Frank, played by 
the one and only Alan Cumming, who by this time had not even really been in any kind of um, American production a whole lot. He was in European productions like Circle of Friends, GoldenEye, and also Spice World, who we'll we'll probably do an episode on that too. Um, (laughs) But he actually came to America, and he says that uh, Romeo and Michelle was a big deal for him. He was kind of ambivalent about coming to Hollywood and um, doing whatever came along. And he thought that Romy Michelle was really great and really funny. He didn't even know how to say Tucson. He thought it was um, pronounced Tucson, which is kind of funny because he's from the uh, UK pretty much. Um, So it's very funny that he kind of came in there and, um, you know, it, it all kind of worked out. Um, Cameron Mannheim ended up playing Toby Walters. Uh, she couldn't believe that she was asked to be play someone in high school when by that time she was literally 35. But it really worked. Um, it seems so ridiculous when she read this script. But she went into the audition and just played it really well. And she was able to get that part. Vincent uh, Ventresca, who played Billy Christensen, he says that it was pilot season in L.A. He had, like, four other auditions he went to before he read for Romeo and Michelle. You know, he's from Indiana. He was the jock slash prom king. So he even said that this was not really much of a stretch for him to play Billy. Mia Cotet, who played Cheryl Quick, one of the A group, she said she left home at 14 to become a ballerina. Um... But then she got too tall and instead she became a showgirl. So she would occasionally wear a G-string to go dance in places like Paris or Monte Carlo. But she also did a lot of commercials. And when the opportunity came up to audition for Romy Michelle, they were kind of looking for different people. And she was somehow was able to get into the uh, get into the role and get the book the job. Uh, Kristen Bauer Van Stratton, um, who was on True Blood as Pam, uh, she found out that years later, a casting assistant who worked on Romy Michelle uh, threw in a headshot of somebody that she thought would be good for a role, and that was Kristen Van Stratton, uh, Kristen Bauer at that time, at least. Um, You know, and so that's how she was able to get her role as um, Kelly Posinger. Julia Campbell, who played Christy Masters, said that after her audition, she was told that um, she was David's choice to play the role, but Disney had to give him the final okay. But that pretty much she knew she could play the mean, popular girl, and, um, you know, it was she was the only one who could do it, you know? Uh, by this time, Julia Campbell had been on Friends, I believe, at that time. Um, she had done a little, you know, kind of guest star here and there. I think she came from soap operas as well. So there you go. You have some of the cast there and, you know, all these people getting together. And apparently there was just a nice immediate chemistry that happened with Lisa Kudrow and Mira Sorvino, which is wonderful. They would connect over, you know, talking about friends, going to college, because Lisa Kudrow went to Vassar and studied biology. Mira Sorvino had went to Harvard and studied Asian studies. Um, You know, Lisa Kudrow had just married her current husband by that time. Mira Sorvino was, uh, before she got married, was dating dating Quentin Tarantino, which we saw in her acceptance speech uh, for her Oscar. And so there was just this, like, immediate chemistry that they had as a duo, which I thought was really great. 
filming Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Um, I couldn't find an exact, like, time frame of when they shot this, but I'm assuming it was probably in 96, sometime before it came out in 97. And it seems like everyone really enjoyed their time on set, you know, um, of course Mira Servino and Lisa Kudrow were playing off of each other very well, um, being able to improv a little bit, you know, and, and have some fun. Uh, you know, you have Janine Garofalo, Cameron Mannheim, Helen Cumming, all these people, uh, playing their characters, um, and the A group getting together and, you know, understanding what their, um, part of the story was as well. Um, and so it did seem like everyone was having a fun time filming this, this movie, uh, which was great. And we'll also talk about the costumes as well. Um, so the costumes were designed by the one and only Mona May, who did costume design on Clueless. She also did, uh, this movie. She did The Wedding Singer, um, all different kinds of iconic productions uh fun fact also one of her uh assistant costume designers on this film was a, a woman by the name of vicky brinkford i believe and vicky brinkford uh who's now vicky barrett she was actually the sole costume designer on jawbreaker from 1999 um so it's interesting how you can look at these three films clueless romeo michelle and Jawbreaker, and there's definitely a through line when it comes to the fashions of that those films because they're so bright, colorful, um, stylized. Like, um, you know, the person making these costumes and getting them together really had a knack for style and um, oh, just a great flair for color and everything. It was just so good. I believe even David Merkin said like he wanted to make this like what $20 million movie look like a $15 million movie, which he totally, you know, I definitely think it looks like a bazillion bucks, of course, but that's just me. Even though the filming of this movie seemed to be pretty, you know, fun and fancy free almost, um, unfortunately when the movie was actually completed and it was reviewed by test audiences, um, Disney didn't really seem to care for it a whole lot. Um, and even though in the target audience or like the test screen that they were doing, it seemed to do all right. And there were some people who kind of got the idea of what the movie was, but there were definitely studio execs who weren't really into the film and thought that they could cut a lot. Um, they actually did cut, um, couple different things. David Merkin at one point uh, wanted to threaten to take his name off of the movie, but he wanted to respect his cast and crew and did not. Um, but it did get to that point. Um, they did cut like a scene with like Will Ferrell in there. He was supposed to be in um, what ended up being a deleted scene. Um, but they, they ended up just cutting a lot of stuff from the film, uh, which is just so unfortunate, you know, to cut different jokes and, you know, now something that just seems so, um, it seems so iconic and so great at this time when it was even being post-production, you know, um, it seemed like there was a lot of issues going on in post-production, you know, and, and that's never, never great when you have that. And, um, Disney was more receptive to Schiff and cut, um, Kemp's cut of the film. They were preparing it for an April release and they thought, you know, 
All right, everyone involved felt confident that, you know, if David Merkin saw this film, he'd see that it was consistent with his original vision and that he'd be okay with it. Thankfully, they did put a lot of his shots back into the movie. Um, the music that was cut from it got put back in. Um, and the good news about this is that everyone involved in the making of this seems relatively happy with it. But the bad news is that Touchstone... Um, the studio that was releasing this film didn't want to invest any money in it, really. So the studio bought a couple TV spots, got some billboards in LA. They got um, a premiere at a multiplex in Sherman Oaks. Uh, Mir Servino and Lisa Kudrow, they came up in a Jaguar convertible. Some of the attendees dressed in 80s garb for an after party that was happening where they, you know, danced the night away and all. Um, but it really does seem like even the premiere of this film, um, you know, it, it kind of was like thrown together a little bit to promote it, which is kind of crazy when you think about it now. But um, really, Disney just kind of dumped it. They threw together this last bit premiere. Um, they didn't put a whole lot of money into it from what it seemed like uh, when you juxtapose it to other different premieres. Um, and when it came out, it opened... A, in 1600 theaters, where it premiered at number two, behind uh, the movie Volcano, uh, who starring Anne Hesch, who sadly just passed away as well. Um, this ultimately grossed a $29 million uh, box office against about a $17 million or so budget. Um, even though I think originally I said $20 million, so, you know, we're getting different figures, but we'll go with 17 I guess. Um... But the film was seen as a moderate success, you know. Um, some of the uh, reviews that they got were great. Some of them weren't so great. Um, but a lot of things that were singled out were the chemistry between Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow, uh, Robin Schiff's writing, and then Mona May and her um, costume designs in this film. Um, and when it comes to kind of the cult following of this movie, I mean, really, the movie came out, like I said, and then it was sort of forgotten for a minute, you know? Um, when it came out on home video, uh, it was kind of drowned out by uh, <laughs> by Titanic that came out around the same time. Um, but then this movie really just lived in home video, you know, blockbuster rentals, TV reruns, all that kind of stuff. And so I think that's really where it found its audience. Um, you know, this is a movie where uh, a generation really grew up on it, you know, who maybe was a little too young to see it in the theater, like myself. Um, but, you know, I definitely agree that, like, you know, millennials in particular were definitely um, <laughs> watching this movie and quoting it and loving it and all of that. And um, it really took on a life of its own. So nowadays you have um, Alan Cumming who has a club in New York city and every Saturday there's a Romy Michelle's afternoon tea dance <laughs> where if people want to uh, request music, they have to write it on a post-it, which I think is kind of funny. Um, People in, involved in this movie, you know, Mira Servino had someone uh, tap her on the shoulder at the Louvre when she was in Paris and, like, talk about, like, um, how they, you know, <laughs> talking about, like, um, how she's the Mary or I'm the Mary. Um, and she was kind of confused for a minute, but then she was like, oh, wait a minute, like, I totally get it. Um, David Merkin uh, states that 
uh, he directed an episode of The Simpsons that Meryl Streep was in, and he got friendly with her. Um, and then apparently Meryl Streep had said that she's seen Romeo and Michelle at least 20 times uh, because she always watched it with her kids, which kind of makes sense. Meryl Streep's kids are um, were would made sense for, for watching this movie. Um, a lot of people recognize Cameron Mannheim. She was on The Practice, and she was on Ghost Whisperer, but uh, so many people want to seem to just tell her to fuck off, Toby. Uh, she sees it as quite an honor, which is nice. <laughs> um, and Janine Garofalo even you know, talked about um, how uh, she was on a production of, I think it was Hurricane Bianca, who that's a movie with Bianca Del Rio from RuPaul's Drag Race and a very known drag insult comic. Um, a lot of people on that uh, set were big Romy Michelle fans. So of course they know Janine Garofalo from that. Um, Robin Schiff says that Peaches Christ, who is a very well-known drag queen in San Francisco, has her own podcast talking about um, different cult movies um, she's a big fan of this, and actually, for the 20th anniversary, uh, they did a whole li- live reenactment of Romy Michelle with Trixie Mattel and Katya Zamolochikova. Uh, it got sold out, of course, and even in, um, the article from Vogue, uh, Trixie Mattel talks about how this movie was such an important thing for them as a, you know, a drag performer and just a little gay boy in general, um, which is just really funny and hilarious to me. Um... But yeah, this movie has really taken on a life of its own, and it's really uh, kind of gained this this following. So much so that when in 2022 uh, they had the Screen Actors Guild Awards, Mira Sorvino and Lisa Kudrow actually presented an award together, and they had these suits that were kind of coordinating from uh, Romy Michelle, which I thought was hilarious. And, you know, there is um, some hunger there of uh, a sequel being made. Um, there was a... Uh, prequel called Romy Michelle in the beginning, which was like a backdoor pilot for a prequel series that didn't get picked up. Uh, but there is interest in maybe making a sequel. Uh, I think when it comes to a sequel, I'm weary of it, uh, just because I do think it could be well done in a way. I think it is funny that in this, um, article from Vogue, um, Janine Garofalo says something where she says, if Disney can remake Cheaper by the Dozen with Zach Braff and Gabrielle Union, then they can definitely do another Romy Michelle. I think a big thing would be just having Robin Schiff as part of the writing staff and her writing it, um, which apparently she does have like a a running uh, draft of a sequel of some sort, which is, which is cool. Um, and then it seems also like a lot of people, even who were a part of this movie, um, they said that they would absolutely do a sequel. So that gives me hope that at least like if a sequel was to be made, uh, it would be good in good hands, which I which I love. So now, since we've gone over all that production history and all that good stuff, I've taken about a half hour of time to do that. Uh, let's move into our plot summary. So the movie begins with a bunch of different patterns that are being folded by two off-screen hands, and we learn that the movie is called Romy Michelle's High School Reunion. Uh, as the No Doubt Just a Girl uh, track is playing in this uh, in the background, so we then see a tracking shot over the Pacific Ocean that then tracks into a Venice Beach front 
apartment that is occupied by Romy White, played by Mira Sorvino, and Michelle Weinberger, played by Lisa Kudrow. And what they're doing is they are in their beds, respectively, eating popcorn and watching Pretty Women for the 36th time. And thankfully, you know, even though they've seen Pretty Women like 36 times, they never get tired of making fun of it. So then you transition into the girls getting ready to um, go out. They're getting changed. Um, and Lisa Kudrow, uh, Michelle, is uh, noticing that Romy may have lost a little bit of weight. And Romy's talking about how, you know, she did just invent this fat-free diet where all she's had to eat for the past six days are gummy bears, jelly beans, and candy corn. And, you know, Michelle just really wishes she had that discipline. We then see the girls in their final outfits to go out, and they're just talking about how they, cute they look, and how they're just so happy that they can say that, and they know they're not being conceited. They're just being honest. So they go out to the club, where they go up to the bartender, who seems to know who they are, and they get two Diet Cokes with extra cherries, and they look around the club, and it's very much like a 90s cute, like, you know, club going on, um, with Labouche's Be My Lover playing, which is, of course, wonderful and amazing. Um, and they're looking around to see if there's any guys there tonight, and there's no guys that they're interested in, in the, um, to dance with. And so they're looking around and looking around, and then they just decide, you know what, let's just dance with ourselves. And so they're starting to dance with each other, and um, <laughs> Romy has the line where she says, God, sometimes I wish I was just a lesbian. And Michelle very nicely asks her, she's like, you want to have sex so we make sure if we are or not? And <laughs> Romy says... Yeah, right, Michelle. Just the thought of having sex with another woman creeps me out. But then she does state, but if we're not married by the time we're 30, ask me again. So at least she's, you know, somewhat open. Gay rights. Appreciate it. And then they're just dancing and just like having this nice little choreographed dance to the Bee Gees staying alive, which is always great. <laughs> From the club, we transition over to the Jaguar dealership, where Romy actually works as a cashier. We are then introduced to Ramon, played by Jacob Vargas, who is a service worker at this dealership. Uh, he is told by Romy to quit jerking off and bring the car around for the customer that's in front of her. And... Ramon seems to be really interested in Romy. He says, Romy, you're looking hot today. And she then says, yeah, it's because I'm sweating like a pig in here. Um, and, you know, the air conditioner is working in the service office. Maybe you can come down over and cool off. And she, Romy just says, right, Ramon, that'll happen. And she very nicely tells her customer in front of her, I'm sorry, ma'am. He's such an asshole. So then you have uh, the introduction to a woman by the name of, we then find out the name of Heather Mooney, uh, played by Janine Garofalo, who is now getting a new Jaguar. And it seems that Romy seems to know Heather because they went to Sagebrush High in Tucson, Arizona. And so Romy's wondering, oh, wow, you're driving a new Jaguar. Like, what is it you do? Um, we learn that Heather Mooney is the inventor of the quick burning paper for Larity Fair cigarettes. Uh, twice the taste uh, for the gal on the go. So, you know, good entrepreneurship, I guess. <laughs> Heather then mentions that their 10-year high school reunion is coming up. And Romy's just like, God, it's been 10 years since high school? Where have I been? Um, and... Romy asks, like, well, are you going? And then Heather very uh, rightly says she'd rather put her cigarette on her ass than go to her reunion, which, you know, fair, totally get it. Um, and then you also find out that Heather finds out that 
Michelle Weinberger actually lives with Romy in L.A. Um, because to Heather, she thought that Michelle would be married to Sandy by now. But then Romy then says, like, yeah, Michelle and the Frankazoid, I'm sure. Anyway, didn't you have a thing for Sandy in high school? And uh, Heather very, very quickly says, you know, she did not have a thing. She did not have a thing. And she even turns to the person behind her and says, she did not have a thing. She was very much in love with him. And there is a difference. There is a difference. There's a difference. I have to go now. Which is just such a funny scene. And so then you see Romy and Michelle together in their beds, um, looking through their yearbook from high school. There's a flashback to Heather in, I guess, 1987, I'm assuming, um, where you see her going behind the school to smoke in between classes. And there she comes across this uh, mysterious uh, cowboy, all dressed in black, uh, played by an then unknown Justin Thoreau, who was formerly Mr going to be Mr. Jennifer Aniston. Um, he was also in Mulholland Drive from David Lynch. He was in Six Feet Under uh, and a whole host of other TV and movies. So you get this look at Heather in um, high school, and then you also get an introduction uh, to the different people in the A, B, and C group. So you have the A group, which is like the popular girls, the cheerleaders. Uh, the A group consists of Christy Masters, played by Julia Campbell. Cheryl Quick, played by Mia Cotet. Lisa Luter, played by Elaine Hendricks. And Kristen Bauer, playing uh, Kelly Posinger. So that's the A group we learn. Um... Then you also get an introduction to the B group, like the drama crowd, like Mark Black and Casey Deegan. Mark Black is played by Rick Pasqualone, and then Casey Deegan is played by Tate Taylor. And Michelle just wonders why Casey never really noticed her in high school. And then you see these two gentlemen just like looking at each other while I think it's YMCA or something like that plays, which I think is really funny, just showing that they are probably gay. Um... And then you learn about the C group. The C group is like the honor students and the geeks like Heather Mooney and like Sandy Frank. So then, then you have like a little flashback to a little science fair that they had where Sandy Frank and Heather Mooney are standing at like one of those projects. And then you meet a very excitable Toby Walters played by Cameron Mannheim. Uh, and then throughout the movie, Heather Mooney just tells Toby to just fuck off all the time. But, you know, you see that Toby is a school-spirited person. She's taking photos for the yearbook. She wants to get interviews for the school newspaper, The Roundup. Um, and she's just an all-around, you know, wonderful person, um, like Cameron Hine is. Uh, so you get that introduction to the A, B, and C group uh, to kind of show what that's all like. And then you learn that uh, about Romy Michelle in high school. So Romy Michelle are just kind of these, like outsider people um they you then flash back to the 87 where they're uh outside eating lunch at hamburger day which is always nice they come across their uh biology teacher uh because they have detention after school today uh, we won't miss it and you know they're just like in their own little world you then um, get an introduction to Billy Christensen, played by Vincent Ventresca. Um, he is the apple of Romy's eye. He's in, she's in love with him, but he doesn't even know that she exists. 
Um, and so you see that Romy tries to say hi to Billy, but he doesn't really acknowledge her. Instead, he goes over and kisses um, his girlfriend, Christy Masters, played by Julia Campbell. And then you see that Romy and Michelle are just kind of looking over at the A group, and the A group is like, they're looking at us again. Um, and they decide, uh, Christy decides to play a little prank. They She goes over to uh, Romy and Michelle, and they... Um, they're talking a little bit. Christy's talking about the how they're putting on the Music Man for the spring musical, and they should try out. It'll be fun. And all the meanwhile, she's putting magnets on um, Michelle's back because Michelle is wearing a neck brace for her scoliosis. Um, and so, you know, then... Christy takes Romy's hamburger and just like eats it and is like just walks away. And then um, Michelle very nicely says, She's like, you know, she can be really nice when she wants to be. And then you see um, Sandy Frank come over trying to talk to Michelle because he's like really interested in her. Um, and then all Michelle has to say is like, you know, you know, Sandy comes over and is like, oh, Michelle, you look so beautiful and whatever, whatever. And then all Michelle has to say is like, okay, see you in biology. And then uh, Sandy very nicely says, I thought I should tell you this, but Christy Masters put m magnets on your back. Um, and then like Romy Michelle, Romy's just like, now laugh at me, you know, just like, don't let them see you sweat pretty much. And like, they're just laughing at one another and walk away. You then have the scene of the prom where um, Romy had just gotten so thin by then because mono was the best diet ever, honestly. Um, so you see a flashback to the 80s prom where um, Romy and Michelle are dressed up kind of like Madonna at the time um, while everyone else looks like they're going to a hoedown. Um, so then you see uh, Sandy Frank and Heather Mooney at the dance together um, and how, you know... Um, Heather's into Sandy, but, you know, Sandy's not really into her. And then he tell, she tells him off, pretty much, and calls him a jerk-off. Um, before that, Romy was talking about how everything's going to happen for her and Michelle when they go to L.A. and all of this stuff. We then see a scene with Heather and the cowboy, the aforementioned uh, all-in-black cowboy, um, where he does a similar thing, where she's trying to smoke, she doesn't have a light, so, like, he just, like flicks his cigarette at her <laughs> so silly and um he just she just says like why don't you fuck a sheep or your sister or both which is just great so then we have the uh the king and queen of the prom um is announced to be billy christensen and christy masters which you know uh -huh, i'm so surprised and so then um romy gets the idea that like you know, nobody's going to say no to anybody tonight. And so she decides to go over to Billy and ask her, ask him to dance. Um, and then we also have a scene where like, again, Sandy and Heather, Sandy tries, uh, Heather tries to ask Sandy to dance, but then that doesn't work out. She calls him a jerk off, like I said, and then Toby's in there. Uh, Heather gets, yeah, tells Toby to fuck off. And then I think, um, what is it like? I think Sandy and Toby, they just, like, start saying all the different state capitals, which I think is really funny. Um, anyway, but then Christy Masters goes up to Romy after Billy, uh, after, you know, Romy asks Billy to dance, and pretty much tricks Romy um, into thinking that somehow, like, 
Billy, like, broke up with her and, like, you know, can't pretend with her anymore. And then pretty much all this time, you know, Romy's just like, oh, my God, this is, like, turning out to be the best night of my life. When really uh, Billy just leaves with Christy and leaves Romy and Michelle all alone pretty much, which is really sad. And, you know, Michelle does very nicely uh, tell, like, you know, maybe he's just passed out in the bathroom. Do you want me to go check? And then Romy's just crying and saying, like, he's not in the bathroom, Michelle. And then Michelle dances with Romy to Time After Time by Cindy Lauper, which apparently costs 250 k to license and use in this movie, which is kind of crazy. And that song will also come um, very later in the film as well. Have this background of what it was like for Romy Michelle in high school, and Michelle then reminds Romy, like, you know, just think of our lifestyle. Like, they're in, we're in LA, they're in Tucson, you know, like, we could still go back and, like, really, you know, give them great, you know. So then we see uh, Romy Michelle going to the laundromat to go do their clothes, and they're answering questionnaires. So, like, you know, they're asking, like, you know, where are you working? Who are you living with? Are you married? Things like that. And as they're answering the questionnaires, Romy realizes that their lives really haven't been all that great since high school, apparently. You know, Michelle's unemployed. Um, she's working as a cashier. Uh, they are just living together. They don't have boyfriends or anything. Um, and so... Romy uh, is just like, oh, God, like, what what have we done for the past decade? But then, you know, when they think about it, uh, Michelle still really, really, really wants to go. And so does Romy. So they kind of hatch the idea of like, well, all we really need is you need to get a better job and we just need some boyfriends. Right. And then Michelle's like, right. But if those things are so easy to get, wouldn't we already have them? And, you know, Romy then very nicely says, like, well, you know, we never really had a, much of a reason, you know, a good reason to to do that, you know, like a, like a reunion. And so uh, she decides to, uh, all right, let's see, like, uh, I'm going to find us some boyfriends. Romy's like, I'm going to find us some boyfriends and you can look for a cool new job. And I hate to say it, but I think we should also lose some weight. And she takes a bag of chips away that Michelle was eating. Um so then you have, um, it transitions from that scene into a spin class that Romy and Michelle are in, where, um, you know, they're talking about how they have to lose weight, um, and they are in the spin class, and I think uh, Michelle's talking about how, like, back in high school, there was always, like, in math class, there was always a word problem about, like you know, this guy is in a rowboat going this amount of miles and then something else is happening this while, how long will it take for him to get to town? And then she's like, who cares? Like, who wants a guy who, like, has a rowboat, you know? And so then uh, you see the spin instructor uh, going up and down on the... Uh, the cycle and like she's having the rest of the class do it and then Romy says to Michelle she's like hey Michelle what does this remind you of and then Michelle just is like oh I know this lady is sick <laughs> so then we see Michelle trying to find a job so she goes over to I believe Versace um or Versace as you know showgirls people would appreciate but she goes to try to get a job there um, and she tells the guy that she's talking to at the counter, she's like, and I know that if you gave me a chance, I could like sell the shit out of this stuff. So she like tells a woman who's like trying something on that she looks really good. And Michelle's all like, oh, I have a great, like believable way of just like telling people that they look really good when I'm really just like, <laughs> you know, 
and she thinks that the woman overheard her. And the guy um, at the counter, who's a British guy, he's like, well, thank you for coming in, but I don't believe we'll be taking on any more staff. And then Michelle's just like, taking on any more what? She, and he says, staff, employees. And then she's like, oh, staff. I didn't understand with your big accent. And then she realizes, like, oh, okay, all right. Um, so then she uh, says, you know, well, you know, if you don't want people to get a job here, you shouldn't let them fill out an application. And then the guy tries to say something to her, and then she's like, no, that's all I have to say, which I think is great. Then you see a scene with um, Romy at a club who has her little bag and a little silver outfit on. She has a guy come up to her, and she says, oh, hi. Um, is that an Armani? I thought so. So what do you do? And the guy who she's talking to says, I'm a suit salesman. And this is where we get the beautiful quote of, would you excuse me? My shoe is filling up. I cut my foot open earlier and my shoe is filling up with blood where she then in turn turns around and walks away with a limp um, to go and like try to heal her uh, cut up foot. So then we see Michelle trying to get a uh, job at Barney's and that doesn't end up working out because they don't have any openings, but they might have that uh, opening at their bis uh, discount outlet. And then you see a little kickboxing class that Romy and Michelle are doing um, as well as part of this little fitness journey they have going on. And, you know, what is it? Romy is like, you know, hey, no job, uh, you know, a job is better than no job at all. Um, and then Michelle's like, so how's the boyfriend's going on? And she's like, that's not really working. And then, uh, Michelle says, well, you know where Dana met her new man? He's a William Morris agent. And then Romy's like, showbiz, good job. Where does she meet him? And then I love this scene where it just pans and it cuts to Romy and she's right in the frame and she says, hi, my name is Romy and I'm an alcoholic. She goes to an AA meeting to try to meet some boyfriends. And it's very nice. Like, everyone says, hi, Romy. And then she just says, hey. Which is always just great. <laughs> then we see uh, Michelle going to the little bargain mart. Where um, she apparently is supposed to now work. But she's, like, creeped out by the whole situation. And um, she would just um, like to go. So she decides to turn that job down. Then we also see a scene where uh, Romy goes to the MTV show Singled Out, which for those of you who may not know, Singled Out was a dating show that was hosted by Jenny McCarthy in the 90s. And it was these singles who try to get together and, you know, um, get a date pretty much. And she says, I would not even be here if this was not like a dating emergency. And the little snappy receptionist says, our cutoff is 25. Try VH1. Um, so then you see Romy Michelle on the treadmills. They're just like walking slowly. Um, and Romy's like, I can't just believe you would turn down a job. And then <laughs> Michelle's like, how am I supposed to impress people by selling, you know, whatever at Bargain Mart? And then, you know, Romy is just like, ugh, I'm going to go weigh myself. And so then she weighs herself, and she has been killing herself for this, like, whole week, and she gained a pound. And then Michelle's like, well, that's impossible. Did you deduct 16 pounds for your shoes? Um, and then Romy's just like, you know what? I'm just not going. Like, screw it. And then, you know, <laughs> this comes to the realization that, like, oh, God, we were delusional for even trying to think that we could just get boyfriends and better jobs in two weeks. And um, Michelle's like, but I thought you said we could. And then you see this um, 
you see all of this, you transition into a scene with all this junk food on their coffee table. And like Michelle is like, um, eating some ice cream. I think Romy's eating like some cookie dough or something. And apparently they have a cat and the cat's just like, uh, licking some ham or whatever. And Michelle's just reading this magazine. She's reading like Vogue or something where she sees all the top executives just look so fashionable. And then Romy's like, those that's because those are fashion models. Those aren't the actual executives. Like they just have the phony glasses on or whatever. And this kind of hatches the plan of, wait a minute, you know, that's it. Like, we can just go to the reunion and just pretend to be successful. And then, uh, you know, Michelle's just, like, on board with this idea, too. But then she's like, but wait a minute. Like, if we pull up in a Nova, don't they know that we aren't successful businesswomen? And that's where Michelle, that's when Romy then says, like, if you can make us the clothes, I can get us the car. Romy in a nice little mini dress walking up to the service uh, office where Ramon is sitting with his friends watching an episode of The Simpsons. This episode in particular is Homer in Space, which was directed by David Merkin, the director of this film. Anyway, so Romy talks to Ramon about how apparently he just got a new, a great deal on a... Um, on a Jaguar convertible and he's fixing it up and that, can I borrow your car? And then, um, Ramon's just like, well, what do I get? And then Romy's like, well, what do you want? And then Ramon's like, oh, Romy, you know what I want. And then she's like, well, you know, what? I'm not going to have sex with you to borrow your stupid car. And he's like, well, I got to get something out of it. And she just says, all right, close the blinds and we'll work something out. And this is where you hear the most believable um, sexual sounds ever, where you just hear Romy going, oh, oh, Ramon, oh, oh, Ramon, while the blinds are, like, closed. And then his, um, Ramon's, like, service buddy friends are, like, outside the window just, like, listening in on this, and you can see that, like, Ramon is kind of feeding her what to say and everything, and talking about, like, is that an earthquake? No, it's Ramon. It's just, like, so silly and you know, he wants her to talk about his penis, but like, she's just like, I'm not saying that. And he says, well, say something nice about my penis. And then she says, oh, Ramon, your penis is so powerful. I'm coming. Okay, get off me now, which is a mood. And so she says, well, you wanted it to be believable. So then she is able to get this convertible from Ramon. She's able to go back to their little apartment and um, while Michelle's coming down with her her suitcases and all that. And they, um, she's like, oh, great. Like, you know, what did you have to do to get this? And um, Romy jokingly says, like, I had to give all the guys in the service department hand jobs. And then Michelle's just like, well, while you were doing that, I, you know, got this mixtape together of all these, um, all this music from high school. And then Romy's like, Michelle, I was kidding. You really think I would do that for a car? <laughs> and then Michelle's just like, yeah, I mean, what? <laughs> like, her look is just like, yeah. And then... <laughs> Romy's just like, okay, get in. And so then you see that Romy also has like a uh, cell phone, like a cute little flip phone that they got um, to make them seem like they're really fancy. And then they set off to Tucson. So they, you know, are trying to like drive down like Venice Beach and the car backfires. And then you just hear Romy say, shit. She like starts the car again. And then, you know, you hear Footloose um, on the radio um, that they have their little little cassette on and then she tries driving it again and it backfires again and she's just like shit 
And then each time, like, Michelle's just like, woo, which is just hilarious. And um, then the third time's the charm, and they're actually able to drive, and, like, they get on the freeway, and they're, you know, singing to this song that you hear turning Japanese, which is another song from the 80s. And then you see that they're on the freeway, they're driving, and then you see the station wagon with this boy in the back seat where he's just like sticking his tongue out at like Lisa Kudrow uh, to Michelle. And he, she's just like, ugh, pass this car. Like, this kid is sick. He's such a freak. And then she, in turn, because she's sort of like immature, I guess, I guess and she's like um, making uh, faces at him. And then the parents see this, which is so funny. And she's like, oh, no, no, wait a minute. <laughs> Not you. I was just trying to scare your little boy, which is just, that's one of my favorite scenes, too. It's just so funny. Uh, it really just shows um, the maturity level that Michelle kind of has at this point, which is just great. So then you see that Romy and Michelle, on their way to Tucson, has stopped at a rest stop where they get into their, like, business lady attire, which is very nice and chic. And they go up to the waitress at this diner that they stopped at and say, hello, uh, uh, do you happen to have a businesswoman special? Um, and the confused waitress is like, what? Pardon me? And Romy's like, well, you know, sometimes like a diner might have like a special for like, you know, business women or whatever. And it's a whole scene like that. And the waitress is like, well, we don't have anything like that. And then, you know, they order their food. And then the waitress then very innocently asks, she's like, what kind of business are you in? And so this kind of spurs that like neither of them know what to say. And then Michelle looks at Romy, and then you see them come back to the car. And they are like, oh my god, I can't believe we didn't think of what we, you know, do for a living. Like, what are we supposed to say we do for a living? And so then um, you see uh, Michelle has, like, one of these little, like, finger predictors or whatever. They were all the rage back in the 90s, where you can make them and then write on them and everything. And she just says one of my favorite lines. Which one of these guys will I have sex with at the reunion? Ooh, Casey Deegan. And then Romy just, like, takes it and throws it. (laughs) She's like, come on, girl. We got to think. Like, what did we do? So, like, they're thinking about, like, okay, well, maybe we invented something. So this is Romy thinking about, like, the Heather Mooney of it all. Of, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, what if we invented something? It should be something that everyone has heard of, but nobody knows who invented it. And she's like, oh, my God, I got it. Post-its. And then, you know, like, everyone knows what post-its are. And then Michelle's like, yeah, they're the little yellow thing with the stick on the back, right? And she's like, yeah. So then they... um Romeo, Romeo comes up with this idea of like, okay, well, you know, we're working in this ad, adver- ad uh, advertisement agency after college. And then Michelle's like, ooh, college. Good, good, good choice. And then like, there's this whole situation of like, wouldn't it be great if I had like this piece of paper with like a stick on the back? And then like, Michelle has this like uncle or grandfather who has like a paper mill and like the rest is history and like all this stuff. And then Michelle's just like, I mean, yeah, but like, you know what did I do? Like, you know, it just sounds like you invented it all yourself. And then Romy's like, well, yeah, but I mean, you know, these people have known us for like, since we were in kindergarten and like, you know, it was your uncle or grandfather or whatever. Um, and she's like, well, maybe we could see it as like, you were like the designer of them. Like I'm the one who thought of them, but you thought to make them yellow. And like, then you could tell that, uh, you know, uh, 
Michelle's kind of a little pissed at her, you know, talking about this. And they have this whole fight in, like, the middle of just, like, the desert um, where, you know, uh, (laughs) Michelle talks about, like, you know, I'd let you have all the ideas um, so you won't feel as bad because I'm cuter. And then, (laughs) you know, they're having this little fight and then Romy's like, you are not cuter, Michelle. And be like, you know, ask anyone. Everyone thinks it, Romy. Um, and then Romy's all like, you have no proof that you're cuter. And then she was saying like, you know, um, Michelle's like, okay, well, who lost their virginity first? And then Romy's like, oh yeah, big wow with your cousin Barry. I wouldn't brag about it. And like, you know, who always gets asked to dance when we go out? Like, no wonder you could find his boyfriend's Romy and like all this stuff. And so then this is where they splinter off and Romy's like, all right, you know what? Once we get to Tucson, we're through. And be like, okay, good. Like, whatever. It's fine. And then they're, like, driving away. And, like, so then they arrive at the reunion. Show up at the reunion. Um, and you see Romy goes in first. And then Michelle goes in. Then you see Michelle. And she meets with the A group. So, apparently, the A group is made up um, now of these four girls. And Christy is a weather girl, apparently. And then Michelle is like, oh, yeah, well, you know, I invented post-its. And then they're all like, <laughs> like, you invented post-its? Like, what? And then she sees Mich- uh, she sees Romy talking to, I guess, Billy Christensen. So you see Romy, I guess, getting with Billy and, like, talking to him or whatever. But then Michelle decides to say, like, oh, actually, I invented a special glue. And then <laughs> spurred from Christy Masters, she's like, well, I'm sure you wouldn't mind telling us all about how you concocted this glue. And then, like, um, <laughs> Michelle's all like, well, you know, ordinarily when you make glue, first you need to thermoset your resin, which apparently was all done improv um, from Lisa Kudrow, which I think is really funny. She talks all about how she's, like, um, made this special glue and all that. And then the A group's all like, I can't believe it. You must be the most successful person in our graduating class. And then Michelle's like, "Uh uh-huh. And you're not. Bye. Which is so good. And so then she goes and finds Romy in the convertible with um, Billy while he's like doing a little race car, like maneuver, which is silly. And she's like, Oh my God, you'll never guess what happened. And then, you know, Romy's like, Michelle, I'm busy here. And so then Michelle's like, all right, fine. Like, whatever. So then she walks away and she gets mowed down by this limousine where she just, like, rolls on the top of it and falls off of it. She's like, come on now, really? So then she meets this uh, guy, Sandy Frank. She finds out it's Sandy Frank, um, who has now, like, become this, like, millionaire or whatever. And uh, he has boxes of Kleenex in his uh, limo or whatever. And, like, it's just so silly. And literally, Sandy Frank looks crazy. He looks like, I guess the inspiration was that he looks like Brad Pitt, kind of. But it literally is prosthetics on Alan Cummings' face, which is hilarious. Anyway, so you see that Michelle and, you know, Sandy are talking. And then you see Romy and Billy are talking. Um, and Romy's talking about how she had, like, this notebook that had Mr. or Mrs. Romy Christensen on it or something. And, like, they're both, like, interested in one another. And, like, you know, Christy tries to come out to, like, get with Billy. But, like, he rebuffs her because he's in love with Romy now. And, like, Sandy and, like, Michelle are in love. And, like, they're making out in, like, his, like limo or whatever and then you see um there's like once they're done making out like michelle and sandy um you then see 
Cameron Mannheim, like Toby, is just like floating above the sunroof of the limo. She's like, uh, you guys, we're about to announce the winner of the vote. Come on. And then you see Sandy just like fly out, which is like, okay, what the heck's going on here? So then you have um you have Michelle in the limo and she's like, wait, I can't find my top. And so then, you know, um, you see that Michelle goes back into this banquet room, which was at first called the crystal room. And you notice that there were like photos of like the A group around, which was kind of weird, weird. Now it's the Christie room and there's just like big photos of Christie masters all over the place. And then you see balloons of like carrots and bananas. You see some of those as well. And you just see this whole like thing. And now there's apparently this vote that happened of like the most changed for the better since high school. And it's a tie. It's Romy White and Michelle Weinberger. And they both get their little like medals or whatever. And then, you know, um, Michelle goes up to the podium in the microphone and she says, I'm sorry, I forgot my top because she's just there with her bra. And like, it's hilarious. So then you see that they subsequently leave with, um, so Romy leaves with Billy, and then Michelle leaves with Sandy on their own separate ways. And then you see 70 years into the future where you see old Romy and Michelle. So old Michelle is with Sandy, and I guess old Romy was going to be, was with um, Billy. And, you know, Michelle's just been, you know, lonely with no one to talk to and all that. So she decides to call Romy. So she gets uh, Billy Jr., um, who I don't know what actually happened to Billy Sr., but, you know, you have Billy Jr., and you see that uh, apparently Romy is now on her deathbed. And she's like, oh, and Michelle's just like, oh, Romy. Billy, tell your mommy that Michelle Weinberger Frank is on the phone for her. And then pretty much, like, Romy doesn't want to talk to her until she admits (laughs) that... (laughs) Romy's the Mary and Michelle's the Rhoda. And then Michelle's just like, I'm the Mary. I'm the Mary. You're just an old hag on a deathbed, like an old pasty hag. And you see that, like, Mich- uh, Romy is like flipping them off while she's dying. And then it's just so silly. And then you see, like, um, you see that pretty much this has all actually just been a whole dream. Uh, this whole thing. And actually Michelle just like was in asleep in the passenger seat of the convertible. And I guess Romy didn't wake her up. So when we're actually at the real reunion, you see that, um, Romy has already gone in. Um, she's looking for Billy Christensen. Michelle then goes in. She sees Toby at the, uh, check-in table. And then, um, you know, Michelle's just like, yeah, me and Romy just like had a falling out because of post-its. And Toby's just like post-its. So then they go in to the to the reunion, and then Romy runs into Lisa Luter, who was part of the A group, um, and you find out that she's actually an associate fashion editor at Vogue magazine, and you see that Lisa Luter has kind of drifted apart from the A group, because um, you haven't met the A group quite yet, um, but you see the little interaction between her and, and Lisa, Romy and Lisa. So then Romy actually meets the A group and um, all they remember her as is like the chubby girl, even though Romy's like, I haven't been chubby in a while. 
And so then, you know, she's asking, like, you know, hey, like, Christy, like, you know, in the yearbook, you said that you wanted Jane Polly's job. Have you gotten that? And they're all pregnant. Uh, the uh, group's all pregnant. And, you know, Christy's like, no, my priorities have changed since I've become a mommy. Um, and then Romy says, like, wow, three kids. You must feel really tied down. And then deadpan, like, <laughs> Chrissy's just like, no, I feel very fulfilled. And then she talks about how Billy wanted a big family. So you find out that Christy is actually with Billy Christensen. And this, like, breaks Romy's heart in a way. Then we also have the wonderful line of, hey, if anybody needs uh, to make a call, I have a phone. Which I think was probably a part of the, um, it was supposed to be more with the deleted scene with Will Ferrell that was in here, but I just think that's so funny because she just like pulls out the slip phone. Um, so then you see Heather Mooney coming into the reunion. She in turn tells Toby to fuck off, and then Toby says, Heather Mooney, you haven't changed one bit. Um, and Heather comes to the, the reunion. She comes and sees Romy since she knew that she wanted to go. But Romy was not expecting to see Heather there. So then uh, you see that, like, uh, oh, in the meantime, you also find out that Sandy Frank apparently made a bunch of money by inventing a special uh, rubber that's used in all shoes in America or something like that. So then again, Heather's at the reunion. She finds Romy. She's like, hey, what's up, girl? And um, (laughs) it's just like, you know... um, you start to see that, like, oh, no, Romy's, like, worrying, worrying, worrying. And then um, they ask Heather, what does she do? She invented Lady Fair cigarettes. Um, and then Christy's like, well, we have, like, a whole group of inventors in this class because of Sandy Frank and all. And that's when Christy says, yeah, Romy here invented Post-its. And then Heather's just like, no, you didn't. And then Romy's like, yes, I did. Yes, I did. Well, then who did? And then this is when we find out that Art Fry from the 3M Corps actually invented post-its and the lie is exposed. Um, and so then the A group is just laughing at Romy because, you know, they, uh, they're just a bunch of assholes. And so then Michelle comes in and she tells them off. Um, first they greet her as back brace girl. And then she's just like, shut up, you know? And we are not the ones who got fat. And then, um, the A group's just like, we're pregnant, you half-wit. And then I love the line, um, oh yeah, well, I hope your babies look like monkeys. So then you see that, you know, Romy and Michelle, they get together. You know, Romy's, like, all sad because she's just like, oh god, like, I feel like such an idiot. Like, you know, and honestly, like, Michelle's just like, girl, like, you know, don't worry about it. Like, you know, I you know, there's worse things in the world than making up some dumb lie, like losing your best friend. Like I had this dream, Romy, that we were like, we were like old, but we were like really, really old and we weren't friends, you know? And really Michelle telling her like, girl, don't worry about it. It's fine. So then you see Romy and Michelle getting into the groove of everything. Christy is at the main podium talking about like, you know, um, oh yeah, like Lisa Luter is like an associate fashion editor at Vogue, and this guy is like on the Dallas, you know, football team or whatever. And then Christy outs Romy Michelle at the gig and tells them that Romy Michelle invented post-its. And um everyone's just laughing at them. It's like really embarrassing, and Romy's just like 
terrified and horrified. So then she runs to this little like changing room thing or whatever. Um, and she just throws her purse and she's all like, ugh, like I was just like, we shouldn't have even come. Like, you know, we're just a bunch of like, you know, we're the same way as we were in high school, like da da da, all this. And then Michelle gives some sage wisdom of being like, you know what, Romy, like ever since we've been here, like, like, I feel like everything that, you know, I thought high school was a blast because we just had so much fun together. And I thought everything since high school was a blast. And Michelle says, you know, I think we should go out there now as ourselves. And then Romy's just like, I don't know if I can do it. And this is then when Michelle's like, well, could you just stop being such a baby? Like, God, I feel like I've been chasing you around this whole reunion all this time. And, you know, we are going to make the best of this, whether you like it or not. And Romy is like, God, I've never seen this part of your personality, Michelle. It's so domineering. And she likes it. And then Michelle's like, me too. So then you see that they finally decide to accept themselves. They, you know, rat out their hair. And they put on these cute costumes that they got. These, like, cute dresses. Um, And Romy and Michelle, they are in good form, honey. So we see Romy and Michelle walk back into the reunion with their colorful outfits on, and they're walking beelining straight to the A group because Romy has been has been done with it, and she is done with their shit. And so she's walking up to them, and I will now um, provide you with a dramatic reenactment of Romy's speech to the A group. So she walks up to them, and she states, "What the hell is your problem, Christy? Why are you always such a nasty bitch?" Do you get some kind of sick pleasure from torturing other people? I mean, yeah, okay. So Michelle and I did make up some lame story. We only did it because we wanted you to treat us like human beings. But you know what I finally realized? I don't care if you like us, because we don't like you. You're a bad person with an ugly heart, and we don't give a flying fuck what you think. And then everyone's like gasping around them and everything, and then she says, Come on, Michelle. And then Michelle just says, yeah, okay, and and yeah. And then Christy's all like, it's unbelievable. They're as deluded about their lives as they are about those hideous clothes. Where then Lisa Luter comes in and she says, actually, Christy, they've got nice lines, a fun, frisky use of color. All in all, I'd have to say they're really not bad. And then everyone's like, oh, girl, like she would know she works for Vogue. What you talking about, girl? And then um, Christy's all like, well, we still think they're ridiculous, don't we, girls? You know, talking to her A-group girls. And then Lisa's like, why don't you just let them think for themselves for once? And Christy's all like, you're just jealous. Because unlike a certain ball-busting career, dried-up career woman, I might mention, we're all happily married. And then Lisa just reads her and says, that's right, Christy. Keep telling yourself that. So then you have that whole beautiful thing. It's beautiful, wonderful. And then all these girls come up and they're like, those are some great outfits. And then Romy's all like, oh, well, thanks. Like Michelle made them and be like, oh yeah, I made them. But like, we both designed them. And then they're all like, you know what? Like, this has been great. Like, thanks guys. So then they're about to just like leave and be like, this has been great. And then Heather Mooney comes up to um, Romy and Michelle and they're like, she's like, hi. I'm so sorry I blew your cover and all this. And then Romy's like, you know what? It was better this way. You know, now that everything's out in the open. And then Heather's all like, it's ironic, isn't it? 
like, I thought you guys had it made in high school, you know? And talking about, like, you know, how I never had the chance to make someone's life hell, you know, while you were making my life hell, the A group was making your life hell. And then she's all like, you know, I never got to make anyone's life hell. And then Michelle's like, you know, I'm sure that's not true. You were very unpleasant. Um, and then you see Heather and Toby. Um, Toby comes up and talks to them. And uh, Toby's all like, and please don't tell me to fuck off because it really hurts my feelings. And then Heather's just like, I hurt your feelings, really. And then Toby's like, yeah, every day. Um, and then she's like, terrific. I'll sign your stupid yearbook. Go ahead and get it. So then you see um, that Romeo and Michelle are about to leave, but then you see that Sandy Frank has landed in a helicopter. Um, and so uh, apparently he made this, like, <laughs> Romeo says, like, yeah, he apparently, he apparently made this, like, rubber um, that's, like, you know, a millionaire. He's apparently a millionaire because he made this, like, special rubber. And then <laughs> Michelle's just like, for, like, for condoms? And then so you see Sandy Frank. He's not in his weird... Uh, special effects makeup anymore it's just alan coming and he's like introduced so he walks into the uh room and chrissy comes up to him and is all like hey sandy you look so rich and then heather mooney's just like that's sandy frank like what like what was i thinking so then sandy finally um (laughs) professes his love to michelle pretty much and michelle's just like "Uh, okay cool um and, you know, so Sandy finally professes his love to her, which is always great. And uh, they decide to dance. So we see this iconic time after time dance, which is so fun because when Romy was left at the 80s prom, uh, you know, it was to time after time. And then now they get to uh, dance this weird dance for everyone at the reunion. And this really signifies that they've come into their own and that they're their own person. And it's just so beautiful and wonderful. And they knew that those um, dance routines would really work, pay off, you know, going out every night. So then you see Heather Mooney and the cowboy. They finally reunite. Um, The cowboy talks about how, like, I was so stifled and I was, you know, I felt like I couldn't breathe when I was in high school. I had a bit of a stutter. And he's finally being nice, like lighting um, Heather's cigarette and all of this. And uh, he just wants to go somewhere to talk. And she's all like, if you do anything, if you try any funny business, I'm going to rip every appendage off of you, first starting with your dick. And so then she's like, all right, well, whatever. What the hell? Why not? And she's like, well, what is your name? And he's like, Clarence. And she's just like, I like your hat, Clarence. He's like, thanks. She's like, pick up the pace, which is great. So then you see, like, Romy and Michelle, they're about to leave with Sandy. It's all wonderful and great. And you see some guy barfing in the, uh, like, bushes or whatever. So you see that it is Billy Christensen. And so then he literally calls Romy Chubbo, apparently. <laughs> and he's all like, weren't you, like, you guys in love with me in high school? And then Michelle's like, uh, she was. And so then Billy is all asking, like, you know, hey, like, you know, you want to get a room? And Romy's just like, but you're married to Christy. <laughs> and like, but you have children. And then you're a successful real estate developer or whatever. And then he's all like, I do drywall for her, you know, dad's construction company. And this other kid, <laughs> don't even know if it's mine. Um, and he's just a total piece of shit. And so then you see that, uh, <laughs> you see Romy's just like, all right, you know what? You better get that room. You know, go up, wash your face. Get naked, and I'll be up there in five minutes. And he's just like, all right, so, you know, your dream's going to come true. And he, like, says bye, and he, like, touches Michelle, and she just shudders and goes, ew. 
which I totally understand. And so then Romy's like, now he's going to feel what it's like to wait. And then it's just so nice. And then so Sandy and the girls get into his helicopter and they fly off. And while they're flying off, um, they see Heather Mooney and the uh, cowboy. They're like making out behind the behind the building. She's like, go for it, Heather. It's so funny. And then you go six months into the future where apparently Romy Michelle from Alone, uh, given by Sandy, uh, they have opened their own boutique called Romy Michelle's where they sell different fashions and they're doing really well. And um, they have the slogan of uh, have a Romy Michelle day, which is great. So then you see Heather Mooney there um, and she has the stress and um, she's like, all right, just ring it up if you must. Be like, okay, can I have the tag, please? And then, you know, the ending scene is that Romy and Michelle are talking. Be like, you know what? Despite that surly demeanor, I think we've just given her a big gift. I mean, being able to give someone like Heather Mooney the way to express herself through fashion, we could have really changed her life. And then Michelle's just like, yeah, yeah. For me, though, it's like I've given birth to, like, a baby girl but she's like a big giant girl who smokes and says shit a lot, you know? And then Romy's just like, yeah. And Michelle's just like, yeah. And Michelle's just like, let's fold scarves. And they're like, okay. And they just end the movie folding scarves in their nice little boutique. And that's the end of Romy and Michelle's high school reunion. So as I stated before, I think this movie is just so fun and fancy free. It is a movie that I don't have to think a whole lot about. I can just throw on and quote it all the time. Um, it makes me feel good anytime that you may, I may have a low point or, you know, whatever. I can always throw it on and just, I know every line to it. It makes you feel good. It has a good message to it. And I just think it's, it's such a unique film for the time. Um, I haven't really watched, I haven't watched Dumb and Dumber or anything, so... I don't really know much about it, but, like, I, this is my penultimate, like, this is the movie where I just really enjoy it so much. Um, and just finding out some of this production history of, like, how rushed this movie was, how the studio kind of wanted to bury it, and it's now found this cult following, which I think is just so, which is so great, you know, and as I stated earlier in the podcast, you know, this movie has so many different communities that it touches. You know, I think women really like this movie because it's very female-centric. It has a, you know, woman screenwriter, um, female leads. It's about female friendship. You love it. Uh, the fashions in it are amazing. The queer community, I think, can really connect with this movie. Similar with, like, because the fashions are iconic and they're great, but also just, like, these two outsider people are able to finally accept themselves, and it's just so lovely. Um, so if you haven't already taken a chance, you know, if you haven't already watched Romy Michelle's High School Reunion, I definitely recommend it. Um, it is currently right now on Amazon Prime, I believe, so you can pull up and watch it there. Um, I definitely recommend owning this movie if you want. Like, it's definitely great in the repertoire. Um, and absolutely just, you know, do yourself a favor, give yourself a treat, and please watch this movie. It's just so, so fun. 
As always, if you'd like to get in touch with me, you can do so at cultcinemacircle at gmail.com. If you want to give any movie recommendations, give feedback on the show, or if you'd like to just say, hey, girl, hey, you can totally do that, too. I'm open to all of it. You can also follow Cult Cinema Circle on Instagram and Twitter. Instagram handle is Cult Cinema Circle, and Twitter handle is Cult Cine Circle. Uh, on those platforms, I tend to post what when episode goes live, I'll post what the next episode is, all that kind of good stuff. I make Instagram stories on the movies I cover and things of that nature. You can also follow me on Letterboxd. Uh, my Letterboxd username is Jesse, J-E-S-S-E, Kremp, K-R-E-M-P. On there, I log the movies that I watch. I write little reviews on the movies that I watch and things of that nature over there. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe to the Cult Cinema Circle podcast on your podcatcher of choice. The show can be found on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, all over the place. Uh, be sure to leave five stars, and you can leave a one to two sentence review. It helps the show get seen by more people. And if you think that you have some friends, acquaintances who might like this podcast, please feel free to share it with them. Um, you know, spread the love around. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this week's episode of the Cult Cinema Circle podcast. And remember, have a Romy and Michelle day. Thanks. Bye.